is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed to have Father Michael Driscoll with us. Uh, Father Michael is a Carmelite, uh, 60 years a Carmelite, 55 years ordained a priest, and he received a healing through the prayers of, of the newly canonized saint, St. Titus Bransma. So a special welcome to you, Father Michael. Thank you. Well, the topic for today is God Healed Me Through the Prayers of St. Titus Bransma. And you have a wonderful story that we're going to focus on, your particular story, in the next segment. But I had heard vaguely about his story, and I, mm-hmm. before the canonization, I started reading the articles. What drew you, at first, you're, you're a Carmelite, St. Titus is a Carmelite. What drew you to a story? Okay, well, I was in a high school seminary in the late 1950s, which was very common at that time, having a minor seminary, which was high school. One mm-hmm. of my teachers was a Dutch Carmelite, Father Paulus Schmidt. And he was in the community in, I think, Boxmere in Holland, where Titus was arrested by the Gestapo in January mm-hmm. 1940. Mm-hmm. And, excuse me, it was probably in 1942. And mm-hmm. he, as high students and seminarians, we were highly impressed with what a Dutch priest told us about Titus Bransma as being a very noble, heroic spokesperson for the church. He was born in the late 19th century and then was ordained in the early 20th century. And he went on to studies after being ordained in Holland. He went on and got a doctorate in philosophy in the Gregorian University in Rome, Mm -hmm. came back. And then in 1935, they started a Catholic university in Nijmegen, uh, one of the major cities now called Radboud after a Dutch Mm -hmm. saint. And he, he helped start that university. Eventually, he became the rector, call it Rector Magnificus, which would be the president of the university. But he all mm-hmm. he taught philosophy and theology, mystical theology, at the university for about, I think it was 19 years. Oh. And uh, because of that, the Archbishop of Utrecht, Johannes de Jong, knew about him, and he became very friendly with his archbishop. And he became the spokesman for the Dutch bishops, ultimately, mm-hmm. which ultimately got him into trouble because mm-hmm. he spoke for them. And he became uh, the Archbishop of Utrecht, uh, made him the spiritual advisor to Dutch Catholic journalists. It was a union wow. of journalists. At the, mm-hmm. In the 1930s and early 40s, there were close to 30 daily Catholic newspapers in Holland. Wow! Wow! And he 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 came from the Frisian area, northern part of Holland, and that was a not very Catholic area. But he, he came from a Catholic family, 
So he decided to enter a seminary in high school, and he went mm -hmm. to a Franciscan seminary. His family were farmers, but he wasn't very robust at all. He was very frail mm -hmm. all his life. Mm -hmm. So he eventually left that seminary and got attracted to the Carmelites because of their Marian devotion, entered mm -hmm. the Carmelite seminary, and that's eventually got ordained and so forth. But he started writing as a seminarian and established a magazine, Carmelite magazine. So he, his, uh, you might say, pen, penmanship started very early in life, and he kept it up. And eventually wrote many, many articles practically every day for newspapers, magazines, wow. articles, and so forth. And there's a institute in Holland now called the Titus Brandsma Institute, which is translating many of his works into English and other languages. But anyway, wow. the Archbishop, the, I think the four other bishops of Holland, made him the spokesperson to go around to all of the newspapers, encouraging them, especially when Holland was invaded in January mm -hmm. 1940 by the Nazis. And mm -hmm. basically, as time went on, the Nazis wanted uh, advertising in all those Catholic newspapers to put in their propaganda. So Titus said, you can't do that. Despite the fact you may lose your job, you may possibly even be arrested, you cannot do that if you want to remain a good Catholic. And the archbishop endorsed everything he did. And he said, Titus, you're going to get into trouble, not me. Because you're going into the pulpits talking against what the Nazis were doing to the Jews of Holland, what they were doing, kicking Jewish kids who were in Catholic schools out of the school, threatening all these schools, threatening the teachers and so forth. And uh, that he went around and there were people probably looking at his writings. There were people certainly in the congregations jotting down anything that he was said that would be against the, the Nazi regime in, in mm -hmm. Holland. So that's eventually what got him in, into trouble. And he mm -hmm. got arrested in January 1942. He went to about four different prisons mm -hmm. and then eventually to Dachau. He was only in Dachau about five weeks. But because wow. he was always frail and all of the beatings he took and so forth, that's ultimately what he succumbed to. He went to what they call the infirmary there, and that was anybody who went there was instant death. And he mm. was injected by a nurse who a actually was a, a fallen away Catholic. And they were talking, and she gave testimony of this later on. I'll tell you in a second how that happened. But mm. she injected him with a lethal carbolic, I think it was called carbolic acid, uh, and he, uh, at like at two o'clock in the afternoon, he died 10 minutes later. And then wow. as they got rid of the bodies uh, by bringing him into crematorium. Now, mm -hmm. Dachau didn't have gas chambers. That was Auschwitz and other camps. But Dachau was mainly a, a labor camp. And they mm -hmm. pushed all those people to the utmost post. And so many of them died. And mm -hmm. in the year that Titus died, that in 1942, in just five, six months, 900 priests died in Dachau. Most, wow. most of them were, were Polish, and mm -hmm. but they had all sorts of different nationalities. 
Now, the Catholic priests were only allowed, the German Catholic prisoners who were priests were the only ones allowed to celebrate the Eucharist. And so Mm -hmm. often what they did is smuggle the Eucharist to people like Titus, and Mm -hmm. he in turn would bring them in in his glass case and the the Eucharist to give to other prisoners, other priests, Mm -hmm. and so forth. So that was part of his ministry in there, and certainly there's so much testimony. There's many, many books on his life talking about what he did to encourage people to hang in there and do their best. And he was kind, giving up food to other prisoners to sustain them. And I guess he knew, you know, the end was near. And when he went to that prison infirmary, that was a sign that you're not going to live. Very few people ever came out of that infirmary. And many of Mm -hmm. them were used as guinea pigs for experimental drugs by the German physicians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that's so it very How quick. Inspiring. But mm-hmm. he he was basically a writer. He was a philosophy professor at the Catholic mm-hmm. University of Nijmegen. But mm-hmm. he was basically writing all the time of spiritual stuff, probably somewhat uh, I guess maybe political. I I don't know mm-hmm. that. But I I've seen a lot of their uh, the writings now. Or that being friends with at Titus Bransmore Institute to um, acquaint us with many of his other writings. But was interviewed by at least eight different Dutch newspapers, both here in the United oh, yeah. States and in mm-hmm. Rome. They got my ear all the time. And <laughs> uh, I was telling him he fought with his mouth in the pulpits of Holland. He went to all the churches for the Dutch bishops talking mm-hmm. about them. They must resist the Nazis and what they were doing to the people mm-hmm. of Holland. He fought with his pen and his typewriter. Now, these are the days before the Internet. And that's right. So that's all well, that he could do. What a mm-hmm. what a great story. The program today is God Healed Me Through the Prayers of St. Titus Bransman. That's a great overview. In our second yes. segment, we're going to go into a little bit more specifically of digesting some of the things you just shared and how he can inspire us today in a little bit of your story. So I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. The Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Knowing how desperately many members of their community needed food during the coronavirus pandemic, parishioners of St. Wenceslaus in East Baltimore made it a priority to keep their long-running food pantry going throughout the pandemic. The pantry, open twice a week, typically serves about 20 families. That number skyrocketed to about 60 families at the outset of the pandemic, reaching 200 at its height. Alicia Champlin, a longtime parishioner and director of the pantry, noted that the people served at the pantry are mostly non-parishioners, individuals who live in the neighborhood surrounding St. Wenceslas. 
St. Wenceslaus has been a welcoming presence in East Baltimore for 150 years. Initially founded to serve Czech immigrants, many of whom worked in Baltimore's can factories, the faith community evolved over the decades to become a multicultural parish. Today, St. Wenceslaus is a largely African-American faith community with a growing Hispanic population. The parish is home to the Gift of Hope AIDS Hospice, operated by the Missionaries of Charity, whose founder, St. Teresa of Kolkata, twice visited St. Wenceslaus. Josephite Father Xavier Ade, a Nigerian-born priest who also leads nearby St. Anne and St. Francis Xavier as part of a three-parish pastorate, noted that the Missionaries of Charity worship with the parish community and assist with faith formation and summer Bible camps for children. Archbishop William E. Lorry will celebrate a 9 a.m. Mass for St. Wenceslaus' 150th anniversary, September 25th. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities. Visit MercyRidge.com. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. My name is Father Brian Nolan. We are blessed to have Father Michael Driscoll. Father Michael is a, a Carmelite for 60 years, a Carmelite, 55 years ordained, and he was healed through the prayers of St. Titus Bransma. In our first segment, we heard just an overview about the life of this canonized saint. This, uh, this man just was a great witness uh, of moral clarity in this time. Can you speak more about, you, you had spoken, he fought with his pen and his typewriter. Tell me more about that. Well, he had an ability to write from his, I think, even at 19 years of age when he was a Carmelite novice. He started a magazine, and so he continually wrote, and he became the spokesperson for the Dutch journalists. And there's many pictures of him with his cigar and mm-hmm. his hat on and talking mm-hmm. and encouraging all of the journalists. So that's Mm -hmm. how he resisted the invasion. He was really a nationalist, too, for, you know, disappointed that his country was invaded. So he really tried to resist what was happening to all the people of Holland and all Western Europe by the Nazi invasions of all these countries. So, and that, that took a lot of courage. Not everybody was speaking out against Nazi Germany. Like you said, it, it comes with consequences. They said that he's a, a witness of the power of moral clarity, witness of the yes. power of someone. Not everybody stands up, but when you have someone like St. Titus standing up, they inspire us. Can, can you speak about why that's an important witness maybe in modern times? Well, many of the questions were asked to me by Dutch journalists. I said, he should be your hero. Uh, that Mm -hmm. you should speak out against injustice. And in our current situation right now, what's happening in the Ukraine, and, you know, the world must speak out, or these things are going to continue to happen, what the Nazis did to all the people of Europe, where millions Mm -hmm. of people died, not just Jews, but many other people, and how many Mm -hmm. people were killed, soldiers and others during the war. 
So he spoke out, and I said, that's what you should, speaking the truth and trying to mm-hmm. uh, encourage other people to be uh, brave. And that's why I, I use the word, he should be, that he should be the patron saint, the modern patron saint of journalists, uh, yes. because of mm-hmm. what he did. St. Francis de Sales lived in the 16th century at the Reformation time. But I think you need, a, and he's the patron saint of journalists, but I think you need a modern turn because many journalists in today's world are actually being killed because of their stance, mm-hmm. especially in third world countries where you have dictators who don't want to right. be exposed. Well, Titus mm-hmm. exposed a lot of the evils of society at his time mm-hmm. and encouraged everybody else to be brave. And he was mm-hmm. a real hero to the Dutch people. And I think that's what they should look to as one of the people that inspires them to be what they should be as good Christians. That's right. So, and can share with me the story of how did your life get an increased intertwined with the life of... Tell a story about your experience of need of prayers from St. Titus. From Titus at okay. the time, blessed Titus at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned before that I, I learned about Titus as a young teenager uh, from a Dutch priest who was in his community. So I kind of had a devotion to this Titus, Titus and this Dutch priest said, we want to get this man canonized. So I was ordained in 1967, and mm-hmm. in 1968 I wrote an article for a Catholic magazine, The Priest, on his story, and that's started me getting enthused over him. Eventually, I, I went to Titus's beatification in November 1985 in St. Peter's in Rome. And that mm-hmm. was a further influence in my life. But I developed an advanced metastatic melanoma in 2004. And I was operated on in Massachusetts General Hospital, actually Mass Ioneer Infirmity, which is next door to it. And mm-hmm. it was an 11-hour operation on me. Wow. And they uh, hopefully at that time took out most of the cancer. They discovered as time went on that I had fourth stage of cancer and some fifth stage of cancer. The doctor wow. that operated on me says, you know, this can come back between two to five years, and other doctors says it wouldn't last more than ten years. It's eighteen wow. years since I was I wow. was cured. Wow. Now what happened? Uh, we produced a lot of uh, holy cards, distributed them all over. Our bishop Gerald Barbarito of Palm Beach was the one who encouraged us. He put it in, notice in the Florida Catholic, our local newspaper saying Father Michael Driscoll, a pastor in St. Jude's in Boca and the director of liturgy of the diocese, is having a serious operation in Boston. Please pray for his cure. So we had the operation. I then, about a month later, had 35 doses of radiation. So I constantly went back to Boston from Florida. For the first year, it was every two months, then every three months, and then eventually six months and then once a year. And about eight years ago, the doctor said to me, I find no cancer in you. You're cured. I don't know how, but God is taking care of you. Godspeed. Hmm. You don't have to waste your money flying up to Boston anymore. You're cured. And that's what we were delighted. So we started, Bishop Barbarito was the one who started the process. 
we had loads of witnesses, like 45 people who said, I prayed for him every single day for his cure. They only needed about 15 at the tribunal for interviewing. And three mm-hmm. doctors would examine all of the records and so forth. And, uh, and we sealed it up. You might say all of the contents of those, which are very quiet and very secret for the Vatican. Uh, in I think it was two, and it was submitted to uh, 2018. It was submitted to Rome. There were about 1,300 pages and, and documents and all sorts of medical things that were submitted to Rome. And then the pro- because they said we think you have a case here for a miracle, wow. and mm-hmm. so they they looked at it in the, in the the congregation for the cause of saints, and the first thing was in Rome, in the Vatican, to examine it by the doctors. And so mm-hmm. I don't know how many doctors looked at it. And then the next sure. step would be uh, by theologians, Catholic priests who were theologians there. And then the third would be the cardinals and bishops in that congregation for the cause of saints. And finally, for the Pope would be the final decision made. And he did, he announced it, that we approve this miracle on uh, November 25th last year, 2021, and on Thanksgiving Day, and they said, Whoa. we'll announce soon when the canonization would be. And they announced it about two months ago, and wow. uh, we had it wow. on May 15th of this year. And there were talk, mm-hmm. plenty of people here. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a Thanksgiving. <laughs> and you got to yes, be at the canonization. I got awakened at 7.30 in the morning. I said, hooray, <laughs> praise be God. Mm -hmm. That is wonderful. A couple last things I just want to touch on. John Paul II uh, spoke when he was beatified. He quoted the the gift of, he didn't answer hatred with hatred, but he answered hatred with love. It's perhaps one of the greatest tests of a person's moral powers. Can you speak to that witness of love amidst hatred, of his witness of even pray for your persecutors, and he would tell those in Dachau to forgive them, to and pray for them. Can you speak to that? Yes. Well, initially, when he was arrested, the head Gestapo man said, why are you against us Nazis here in in Holland? And anyway, he gave a whole apology, I I would call it, uh, for why we are opposed to national socialism, which is Nazism. And then he ended up, God bless Holland, God bless Germany. May we be the descendants of St. Boniface at peace one day. I mean, that's basically what we said. Mm -hmm. Now, in in Dachau, many people were, of course, hating the Nazis for what they were doing to them. He says, pray for them. He says, I can't do it. Well, you don't have to do it every day, Titus said. (laughs) You can do it every once in a while. (laughs) So he used his humor. Um, mm-hmm. encouraging them not to give in and not to give in to hatred, but to be more compassionate and forgiving. Do you recommend any books? There's, I just got the book, Encountering God in the Abyss. Uh, there's a new, just published, Miguel Arribas, and they just translated. He wrote that book about 10 years ago, and it's just translated into English. I think it's the best one out. Is it called Truth uh, and Love? Price of Truth? That's Miguel I, Maria that's, Arribas, The that's Price of the Truth? Book. If you want to read okay. it, the most current one, do that. And then our former prior general, he just, Fernando Millan, M-I-L-L-A-N, he just wrote one and it was 
translated into English about a month ago. Fernando Millan, M-I-L-L-A-N. He teaches theology in, in Madrid. And eventually, I'll get my book published. I'm about three quarters of the way through. Hey, good for you. Good for you. That's so, great. And I have, uh, have an article coming in. Uh, it's uh, in London, coming out soon, uh, ready to hey. a few others. My main emphasis, I'm trying to emphasize him as a patron saint of journalists to get at the truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I I would encourage you even to go to St. Jude's. We just set up a, what we call Carmelite Martyrs Chapel and it's Edith Stein and Titus Burns. And in the mid and pictures, uh, icons of them and their relics and Christ in the center saying, forgive your enemies. It's a beautiful little thing. Very small little chapel. Wow. I encourage you to see it. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, what a a phenomenal story. What a great, great blessing. We're out of time, but great blessing to have Father Michael Driscoll with his phenomenal story, God Healed Me Through the Prayers of St. Titus Bransma. So I encourage you to learn more about the saint. We're thankful for the grace in, in the life of Father Michael. So thank you for joining us today, Father Michael. Thank you very much. Glad to witness. Thank you. And I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Review Radio. May God bless you. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.